Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We are not doing this, however, without considering the works we are committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. We are continuing our What Matters Most series. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open it to Romans chapter 12. And recapping what we've been talking about, first week we talked about how it's really important that our goal is to connect people to the life that is found in Jesus. John said in him, speaking of Christ, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And it is our desire as a community of faith to connect people to this life. That's what we are about. It's our task, it's our mission, if you will. Mission is why we exist, to connect people to the God who loves them and who demonstrated that love so clearly in the person of Jesus. And then last week, we talked about how it is so important to recognize that God is love, and so that all we do should be in that context. We, We looked a little bit about how God positions himself towards us. I had an illustration of the the two chairs, how sometimes we think that, well, God's chair is looking towards us, facing towards us, if we're facing towards him. But if we sin and our chair turns away, then God turns his chair away. But scripturally, that is not the case. God doesn't change, and he is always positioned towards us. And that if God is love, then love looks like Jesus, who pursued the woman at the well, the woman who was caught in adultery and did not condemn her, Zacchaeus, restored Peter, sought Paul. All these people are just examples of how God was always facing them and how God is always facing us, towards us, and that love is that context for all mission. And so now I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And as we look at these passages, they're familiar verses, but it's real important that we start to remember the context of why Paul is writing this book, because it really has to do with the passage that we're looking at today. When Paul is writing, he is 
trying to bring an awareness to the Jewish believers and to the Gentile believers that they are now one in Christ, that God's intention all along was to bring this about. Starting in verse 1, chapter 12, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Many times we'll, we'll stop here because that passage is so rich and so full. But what is this world that he's talking about? What is this attitude that we are not supposed to have? What is this mindset that he is addressing and trying to destructure or de I don't want to say decompose. That's like a dead person, right? It's deconstruct. That's the word I'm looking for, okay? I miss the walking dead. It'll be on soon. Anyway, <laughs> deconstruct these things. What is he trying to deconstruct? What, what is he trying to help us see that we're not supposed to be like this? That word four in verse three is connecting what we just read. For by grace, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Here's another passage that might be familiar to us. Okay, yeah, we aren't to think too highly of ourselves. We're not to be too proud. We're not to have this kind of arrogant attitude but he goes on, and it's more than just that. It's not just that we're not supposed to have a proud, arrogant attitude. There's supposed to be a different attitude. Again, the word for in verse four, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. One of the things that we begin to see as we have been looking at these important values is whether it's we're to connect people to the life that God has for them, whether it's to help them recognize the love that God has for them through Jesus and now through us, we start to see that everything that's really important is really about people. It always is about people. And it's a shame that it has to be brought up because we tend to forget so many times how important this is to who we are as followers of Jesus. And we can get caught up into structure, into doing things, and forget that it's not about the things, it is always about the people. The Spirit of God does not dwell in structures and programs or in methods, he dwells in 
people. And so that's what matters. And what Paul starts to tell us here is when he says, you know, we're to to not be conformed to this world, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and we're not to think ourselves too high. We're not to have that attitude, which is an attitude where people are apparently having in this world that he's talking about. And then he says that we are members of this body, just like you have members that are part of your body, you are a part of a larger body which is Christ. And Paul is really pushing us to understand that we are not to have the mentality of this world that sees us as individuals with our own rights in our own ways, but to see us as now part of something much, much bigger. Don't think of yourself too high because you're part of something else. And your thumb can't think itself too mighty because it needs the hand. And the hand can't think it's so great because it needs the arm. And the arm needs the other stuff. You see, how can it boast? It needs everything to be what it is. And what Paul is pushing in this passage is that You are to change the way you think because you belong to something much more. And it's Paul's message throughout all his writings. He tells us, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, his purpose, God's purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. One new humanity out of the Gentile, which is the world, and the Jews, which were God's people. His intention was to make one new humanity. We are to renew our minds and see ourselves now as this one new humanity. Again, that was his purpose. That's why he went through such lengths throughout the book of Romans to explain that now that which was once what God was using has now been brought We've been grafted in this wild olive branch that we are now part of what God had been doing. He is now continuing it, but he's continuing it with all of us, the Jew and the Gentile. And so we need to recognize that this was his purpose to create in himself one new humanity. And so the renewing of our minds and the not thinking of ourselves too highly, but having this sober judgment is to recognize that we are part of this one new humanity, that we are members of this body, that we belong to him and to each other. He tells us in Galatians chapter 3, Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. If we believed that, if we held on to this truth, that there is no differences based on gender, nationality, that we have this common family, 
It would change the way we think. You know, with the tragedy that took place in Florida, this morning after I heard the news, I started looking, and it's so tragic, and our hearts go out to all those families that lost people that they love. 50 dead, 53 are in the hospital who've been injured. And it's the largest mass shooting that's taken place in the United States. And so it's close to home. And so we, we identify this and we think, oh, this is terrible, and it is. It's tragic. But it would be even more tragic if we did not see that this is just part of what is taking place in out, throughout the world. The United States is 14 times larger in population than Syria. Syria has lost over 135,000 people through this unrest that they're going through. If you were to proportionally put that into the United States, it would be 1.4 million people. There were 7,000 people in one month killed. Proportionately, that'd be close to 100,000 people. And if we don't see ourselves as people who are connected to the world around us, to the people around us, then we are missing the point of this gospel. There is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no male nor female, no slave, no free. We are one now because of Christ. That means those Syrians can be our brothers and our sisters. God loves them just like he loves us. Even as we talked about last week, he gives the sun and the rain to the just and the unjust. His chair is turned towards them and God's heart breaks for these 50 people and God's heart breaks for the 135,000 people and God's heart should be within us. And we need to change the way we think to see ourselves connected to each other and to the work that God is doing. Don't think yourself too high-minded You're above these other tragedies, these other things. Sober judgment helps you to recognize that there is some of our family that is dying every day across this globe in different countries for different reasons. We need to be aware of it. We need to understand that. And we are the ones who bring the change to that. You see, there's got to be change, and the world is changing. Oh, it's a lot slower than we would like. We always want to fix it. We, we want to end things quick. You know, we want to go and, and fight a war. But that hasn't been working real well in accomplishing all the things that we had hoped it would. 
But it doesn't mean that things aren't changing. It doesn't mean that things aren't working. The, the greatest revival in the Muslim world is taking place right now because there are people who are caring enough to go to these countries because they want to connect them to life because God's chair is turned towards them and they see them in the eyes that God sees them in and they reach out to them and people are changing. And this is something that we need to recognize, that we need to own, that we need to be a part of even in small areas. It doesn't mean we have to go throughout the world. We can do work here. There's plenty of work to do here in Upland and in the United States. There needs to be change of attitude, change of heart. There needs to be recognition that you are one new family in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, Democrat or Republican. Thought I'd throw that in there. You have family. There's something that trumps those things. <laughs> and we need to recognize that, that there's something more important than the things maybe that we give importance to. It doesn't mean these things aren't important, but there's something that's underlining this. There's some foundation that we are on that we need to remember. And this is part of the renewing of our mind. This is part of not being like this world that is so segregated. Most of the wars and the things that are taking place are because of ethnicity. Is that crazy or what? The Hutus and the Tutsis. You go to the Czechoslovakia and you've got different factions and you look at them and they look the same. You've got Palestinians, Jews. And I mean, if you were to put them up and they wore the same clothes, you'd say, I think they're the same nationality, but no. Even in the Islamic states, you have different factions just based on religious beliefs. And all these people killing people by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands, by the millions over the years. And here comes Jesus and Paul saying, you need to renew your mind. You need to change and not be like this world. You need to not think yourself better than someone else. You need to recognize that you are members of something bigger than yourself. You are members of the body of Christ himself. And so, though Christ is one, we are many members belonging to each other, have different gifts according to the grace given each. And then he lists some of the things, the gifts. Prophesying, and that means to proclaim. It's not like foretelling the future. It's not a fortune teller. Prophesying, well then do that according to that gift that you have, to that grace that you have, then if it's faith, then do that. Have faith. I'm glad there are people with faith because sometimes I don't have faith and I need to borrow some. And some people come and give me some faith. You ever been there? Really? I mean, it's like, man, I'm just feeling down. Hey, it's going to be okay. Look at what God is doing. And they encourage you. Wow, I needed that. It's like a, a, a shot in the arm. It's like, man, thanks for that shot of faith. I got some faith. I was encouraged by you because you see things 
a little bit clearer than I do right now, a little bit stronger in those areas. And so we need those people. If it's serving, then serve. Thank God for people who serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouragement, then encourage. If it's giving, give generously. And if it's mercy, then show it diligently, lead it diligently, and then if it's mercy, do it cheerfully. There's an attitude that comes with all these things. And you see what, what Paul is pushing at, this mindset that we are supposed to change and this attitude that we're supposed to have is that you are a part of something and so be part of that thing that's happening. And you are important, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever potential you have, you are vital to the work that God has. And if you don't see yourself vital, say, well, I'm not that good. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not, I don't have a lot of money. I can't give generously because I don't have anything to give. You know, I'm not a teacher. I can't teach. I can't fumble over these things. Then you're really short-sighted in how many ways that you can be of help and service to the work that God is doing. And I want you to see that. I want you to to see yourself as important. I want you to recognize how important you are because every person should strive to find their voice and not just echo someone else's voice. God created you fearfully and wonderfully made. The scripture tells us that Moses was a beautiful child, that he was special, I think that's true of all my kids. And I bet you think that's true of all your kids. But all my kids aren't the same. They're very different in their abilities and their talents. And even in some of the most difficult times in my children's life, I mean, my kids who were struggling with so many things, when one of my sons was just as low as he could be. I've shared this story before, and he said that it's okay to. When he was basically homeless and was given money, he gave that money to God because he felt that that's what he should do. There was a a, a generous spirit that encouraged me. Actually, at that time, I thought, that's stupid because that's the kind of man of faith I am. But what it was, was an offering that God honored and blessed him through. See, he's different than some of the other kids. He's got this gift of generosity, and it shows up at the most amazing times. And every now and then I get a glimpse, and I just want to tell him, you don't realize how wonderful you are. You don't know how amazing you are. You don't see what I see in you. You are incredible. And I I want him to grasp hold of that. I want all my kids to grasp hold of that. And God wants you to grasp hold of that. In some way, in some form, there is a place where your voice needs to be heard. It's that important. 
And I want to share a, a passage with you that I thought was just a beautiful and touching story in Luke chapter 7. There's something that stood out to me in this story that hasn't stood out before, starting at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Just capture this moment, okay? This is pretty crazy. A woman, probably a prostitute, and apparently people know, comes in, starts crying at Jesus' feet, Her tears are washing his feet. She's using her hair and pouring out this expensive perfume on his feet at this house. Imagine one day you go home, prostitute comes into the house, starts crying at your feet, pouring ointment on him and kissing your feet. I don't know how you'd feel. I'd be a little uncomfortable. Okay, verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, I love Jesus. I just love Jesus. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave debts of both. Now, which of these will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, I want you to picture this. He is looking at the woman but he's talking to Simon. It would be like me looking at my wife and telling someone else about her. I want you to imagine the gaze that's on his face as he's just given this illustration about the person who's been forgiven much. And Jesus is not looking at Simon. He is looking at the woman. And he says to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, so he's still looking at her this whole time. Jesus is staring at her, telling these beautiful things, staring at this woman who is weeping and kissing his feet. 
And he says to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You think you have nothing to offer. You you think that you aren't good enough. You, you Maybe you think that you're not talented enough. Maybe you think that there is, you know, uh, people, there are people better than you who can do more than you, and they probably can in certain things. But I want you to see that here is a woman who is a prostitute who comes and all she could do is cry and wash Jesus's feet. But her story is here to inspire you and to inspire me that our love for God will affect the people around us. And just as she has been saved and forgiven, you too have been saved and forgiven. And can you imagine her going home after this story, after hearing this person who she's just desiring to, to hear these words from, she hears these words, she's been forgiven all the things in her past, whatever reason she is, why she is, where she is, she no longer has to be there she can move from this place to a new place she can transition her life because god sees her as more not less god sees you as more not less you need to grab hold of the fact that you are saved you are forgiven you are loved and you are of value and god needs you and we need you because you have something of value for us right where you are. And we can't lose sight of the fact that it is about people. It is always about the people. You know, this whole church thing is different for me. (laughs) I know you're thinking, well, that's kind of scary. You're the pastor here. I I know. You should be scared. No, uh, I'm constantly learning and having to relearn. And I'm constantly having to grow and develop. And it's always in the ability of how to connect and help people how to see the needs of the people who are here at Genesis and to be able to meet them. And I start thinking, well, I can't do that. That's not what I can do. I'm not good at that. I'm not going to put together those kinds of lists and that kind of structure because I don't do those things well. God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to lead this. I'm not sure what needs to take place. And then God reminds me it's not about you. You belong to something bigger. You need to renew your mind, not think yourself so high, but recognize sober judgment that you're a part of something much bigger. And that there are people around who can do what you can't do. So stop trying to do it and ask them to do it. That's what I'm doing this morning. I'm asking you to do it. You're saying, what? I don't know. (laughs) Right now, I just want you to kiss Jesus' feet. I just want you to realize how much you and I have been forgiven. I want you to renew your mind and be transformed by that. Not be conformed to the world's way of thinking, 
that doesn't see itself connected to what we are connected to. I want you to have sober judgment, not be high-minded, to think that it's up to you and it's all about you, but to recognize that you are a member of something that is beautiful and is doing incredible things and is changing the world we live in right now today, even with all the violence, all the racism, all the hatred, that you are part of something that is bringing change that will not be stopped, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the work that God is doing in his children, and you are one of them. Own that. Own it. It's you. And you may be humble and broken and come like this woman who has nothing but this perfume and her tears. And it becomes worship. And it becomes an opportunity for God's love to be demonstrated for us. Think about what you can do if you would love Jesus and others. How you could change the lives of those around you if you were just like this woman who cared enough to give what she could. It's what is our reasonable form of worship. It's how our minds are supposed to think. She gave of herself, serving the Lord by anointing his feet. It was the custom. Roads were dirty. Washing someone's feet was something that you did out of a sign of respect, out of being kind to that person. It was hospitality, which is something God loves, by the way. And you see, servanthood is the key to connection. Serving others with others is the surest path to having your needs met and finding out what God wants to do in you. Spiritual maturity cannot exist outside of healthy relationships. Let me say that again because that is so needed to be known. Spiritual maturity cannot exist outside of healthy relationships. doesn't matter how much you know if your relationships are unhealthy with all the people around you, then something is lacking in that spiritual maturity. If you know someone who has struggle in their relationships and connecting to people, there's something wrong in that spiritual maturity. It's how it is. In the same way, vibrant and spiritual work and ministry is the result of dynamic interdependence with one another and with humanity. Dynamic spiritual ministry takes place when we connect to each other. When we are a part of each other's lives. 
it was so much fun last Friday. Yeah, Friday night at the family night. It was like a giant living room. And the kids were all playing on the rug and they were building forts and they used the cushions to, that we had there. And the adults were watching the movie that was made for the kids. <laughs> the kids were having too much fun. It's like, you know what? You know, and my first reaction is like, Shh, hey, watch the movie. But you see, what they're doing is really what needs to be done. They're doing what we should have been doing. We should have been making forts. Well, maybe not. But, you know, we, we should have had that interaction. They're interacting. They're laughing. They're playing. They're having fun. We're watching a movie. Where is the connection? Who, who are the ones that are growing? Who are the ones who are getting to know each other? It was the kids. They're all sweaty and hot and laughing and jumping on each other. We don't do that, but... <laughs> you see what's happening? They were actually getting it. They were actually doing what needs to be done when you get together. Think about this, communion. The word itself, it's this common union where these people come together, community. It is meant to be this representation of our unity with God and our unity with each other because of Jesus. It, it, is, it used to be a meal that was shared, a time that was given to one another. What is it now most of the time? It's a plastic cup. Sometimes they're self-wrapped. You can get the cup and the cracker all in one little thing. You go to church, you get your cup, you get your cracker, you take your communion all by yourself. Something missing? Is something wrong? Or, or, am I missing the point? It doesn't mean you can't do that and connect to God. But do you see that we're moving away to this mindset that is so individualistic that we start to even get our own little communions, cups and things, when it was meant to be a meal, when it was rebuked because they weren't taking care of each other, there's no taking care of someone if you give them a little cup, a little cracker. Here, here you go. Okay, you're good. Where is the connection? Where is the vitality? Where is that union that's supposed to be a part of this? We keep pulling away into this seclusion, not recognizing that our isolation is hurting us. That's what we talked about at the Connect meeting. And, and so these opportunities like Family Night or the Connect, I look at those things and I start thinking, what was successful about those things? Because I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to think like that, I think. And, and so I was thinking about that, I goes, like, what's successful about that? And I think, well, I had pizza, that was successful. You know, I, I got to watch a movie, that was good, that would happen. But I think when I think of what was the most vibrant thing taking place, it was the children not paying attention to the movie, playing with each other on the floor. I think God was right there smiling, saying, right here, this is it. This is what I'm about. This is happening right here, right now. Let's blow that up and say, okay, how does that happen to us? How can we make that happen to us? You see, because structure must always submit to spirit, and spirit dwells in the people. What is happening in the people is what should be happening in us as a community. And we'll never know that unless we start 
spending time with each other and talking to one another, finding out the needs of one another, recognizing how we can be involved with one another. And you are here and you are of value. You are part of the body of Christ that is changing the world. And we need you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my family here this morning. I pray for our hearts together. Lord, I, I pray that we would present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you. That we would not be conformed to this world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds we might prove what is the good and acceptable will that you desire for us. God, that we would not think of ourselves too highly, but we would have sober judgment. Lord, that we would see that we are members with one another, that we are part of your work. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to step in into that role in some way. Lord, there are people here who are so gifted at communicating, but they have not done it. And I don't mean, Lord, just here. I mean, they have not shared their friends, their workmates, classmates. They're frightened and they don't realize the treasure that you've put in them. Lord, there are people here who are filled with faith who could help some of us who are lacking in it. They just need to step into those relationships and places where these can happen. Again, wherever they are, Lord, that they could be a strength to us. God, there are people here who serve and they serve tirelessly and they serve endlessly. And I thank you for those people and I thank you for the people of faith, but I know there are other people who who can serve, Lord, who just don't feel that they are good enough. Whatever it might be the reason, Lord. And Lord, there's so many other areas, God, whether it be people who are encouraging, whether it be people who are generous, whether it be people who are merciful. Father, you have put within our community things that need to rise up to help each of us. And so what I pray for, God, is an illumination, a recognition that there is value in who they are, that there is potential that is yet to be tapped into. 
And I want to ask if, if you're here this morning and, and you have been maybe prompted or maybe even pushed by the Spirit of God to a place of recognition that I don't feel that I am of value. I don't feel that God can use me. I don't feel worthy or of worth in any way. And I want to. If that's you, would you stand up so that we can pray with you and for you that God would remove that blinding veil and that you could leave here today just like the woman left the Pharisee's house knowing that she is forgiven and of worth. If you're feeling worthless and useless and you just don't think you have anything to offer, would you stand so that we can pray for you and pray encouragement to you and help you to see your value? And there are some here, maybe you feel like, well, I do have things to do but an offer, but I'm a little bit afraid. I'm a little bit scared of what it's going to cost me. But I feel like God is prompting me. Would you stand at that prompting? We're not going to take your name down and sign you up to anything. But I want you to step into the fact that you've recognized that God wants to use you in some area that you feel you are gifted in and can contribute. Would you stand so we can pray encouragement to you and boldness for you to move forward in these things? Father, you see those who are standing, and I pray, Lord, that you would bless them, you would fill them. Lord, you would forgive those things that maybe are haunting them. You would remove those things that are hindering them. Lord, that you would enhance that work that you are doing within them, that they would see that work. And Lord, for the rest of these who are sitting, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would again move upon this community, that our hearts would be knit together that we would recognize that we are part of something so beautiful and so much bigger and that we would not hesitate in being a part of the work you are doing in some way, in some fashion, somewhere, whether it be our homes, our place of work, or whether it be here at a church. Give us your boldness, your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together with me? May you recognize that just as Jesus looked at this woman, he looks at you. As he told her her sins were forgiven, so he tells us, May you know the loving gaze of your Lord and Savior this week. God bless you. Have a great week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.